Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Oh, happy day, Coach Paula. You've had a long day. I did have a long day. I got up right at four o'clock in the morning with a busy schedule ahead of me. I went outside, hopped in our pool using a tear swim strap. I'm not sure what the retail name is for this, but it's an attachment that I can tie to the ladder and tie around my waist. It's like having a swimming treadmill in your backyard. It is really a difficult thing to do. Have you tried it? I have not tried it. I've watched you and Jacob try it. So you might think that it's just like regular swimming, but the fact that your body is not moving forward means that when you're pulling your hands back, you're pulling more water back because your body's not moving forward. So anyway, it is a little bit more challenging, but it's it is somewhat like open water swimming in that I can do it without ever touching a wall. So it's been fun. It's been working my swim muscles. But this morning, I woke up with this plan to get in the pool and it was dark outside. So I turned the pool light on and I'm swimming away. Now, and the way I did my workout was I set up a timer within my open swim activity on my Garmin watch so that it would beep every minute. And I could mentally just keep track of the minutes. But I was going to do 20 minutes today. And I thought, just in case I mess up in counting, I set an alarm clock for 20 minutes in the future. So I'm swimming along, and it's tiring. But the minutes keep clicking off, and I get a little bit more motivation the closer I get to my target. And I'm practicing sighting, I'm getting into a rhythm of five strokes, breathing to the right, sight, five strokes, breathing to the left, sight. And anyway, it was a good swim. And every once in a while, I would think that the pool light was making a reflection on the water, which didn't bother me at all. But then when I was ready to get out of the pool, well, my alarm went off, and I thought I had just finished the 18th minute, but it was actually the 20th minute. So somewhere in there, I lost two of the notifications that the minute timer had went off. So when the alarm went off, I stopped my watch, I unstrapped myself, climbed out, and then I realized it was thunder and lightning. So unbeknownst to me, I was in a dangerous situation, swimming in the pool during what was about to be a thunderstorm. I can't believe you didn't hear that thunder. It was loud. My head was underwater. I was getting after it. Well, there you go. Yeah, so I had plans to run with four or five people this morning, and they all bailed due to the storm. But 
at the time we were supposed to begin running. I mean, there were a few droplets of rain, but there was no thunder or lightning. So I took off on my own and I took off, I don't know, probably 10 minutes early when I had, well, maybe not 10 minutes early, but a little early. And someone showed up at the house and I just happened to be running with my phone, which is highly unusual. I don't usually run with my phone. And she said, hey, where is everybody? I was like, oh, they canceled. Sorry. (laughs) I hadn't let her know because she hadn't responded. So I didn't know she was coming. So I turned around and headed back her way and she headed my way. So it all worked out. and Met in the middle. I had a friend to run with this morning. Well, that's always a good thing. It's always a good thing. So what else did you do after you did your swim today? Well, before I talk about the rest of the day... I have to say, your short haircut is really beautiful. (laughs) Well, thank you. All right, moving right along. So, I got up real early to do my swim because I was driving out of town to a Cervelo dealer in Louisville, Kentucky to get a bike fit, which I haven't had since 2016, probably. So, it's been a really long time. There were a lot of reasons why it's been a long time. I scaled back on my riding to focus on running, and then during the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of bike fit. There wasn't, gonna, a lot of, gonna, wasn't a lot of bike fits being performed. I'm going to guess that your bike fit was prior to 2016 because you trained. I, mean, I don't know. It may have been in 2016. That's I guess that's when Kona was. Mm-hmm. But I trained on your bike and did a bike fit in early 2017. And just you just were so nice. You let me reconfigure your entire bike. I'm going to tell you, there's not very many men that would let their wives do that. Well. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a while. It was overdue. You made the bike look good. Oh, my goodness. So, anyway, after you finished riding after your Ironman... I tried to reconfigure it back to where it was. And I don't know that I actually had a professional fit at that time. But I've really picked up my riding this year. And I've got a aqua bike race coming up in ooh, just a few weeks now. And I thought it was a good idea to get a bike fit. And so there are people in our town that do bike fits now that the pandemic's over. But I really needed a Cervelo dealer because my bike is unique. Back in 2013, I believe, is when I bought this bike from a Cervelo dealer, and it was new, and it's no longer made, and parts are hard to come by, and I'm just really nervous about letting anybody work on my bike who is not a Cervelo dealer because of its uniqueness. It has hydraulic brakes which is the thing I'm most concerned about somebody working on that's not familiar with the type of brakes. Does Cervelo still use hydraulic brakes, or do they use disc brakes now? Disc brakes. Yeah, so your bike's probably becoming a dinosaur. It is. So the, the dealer who was doing the bike fit, the owner of the bike shop, said that the parts for my bike are no longer available. So if I ever wanted to sell any spare parts on eBay, I could make some good money. I could strip it down and sell it one piece at a time. And I don't know that it would be enough to buy a new Cervelo TT bike, which he had a really nice one at his store for (laughs) $16,000. Yeah. 
it was really nice. I'm sure it was. I like the color scheme of mine, the black, white, and red versus the all black. But it was a nice looking bike. And it was, I believe it was a 54, which would be just my size. Mm. Yeah, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm happy with my bike. Oh, that's good to know because, I mean, you build your Christmas list often on this podcast, but we don't, you know, Santa Claus isn't quite that generous at our house. Tis true. Tis true. You know, I want to stay in retirement and you would like to retire (laughs) eventually. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the bike fit. There wasn't a whole lot of science behind the bike fit. He looked at my positioning on the bike. He looked at my like leg length on the bike as I was sitting on the saddle. Uh, looked at my elbow and shoulder angle when in the arrow position. And then we had a conversation. And the conversation was around how aggressive the bike was set up currently, which was basically as low as it would go. And I was quite comfortable with that. And you were comfortable with that when you rode it as well. Well, I do know that when I got my bike fit, the arrow, everything on the front there was lowered a little bit, lowered as low as it would go because I needed the seat much lower than what you had. So it may have been lower than how you raced with it. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So the conversation continued, and he said, if you're comfortable with it, we can keep it this aggressive, or if you are interested in more comfort, we can raise you up a little bit. And I made the decision in the spur of the moment, I'm more interested in longevity than I am speed. So we talked about it, and reducing my hip angle by... Bringing my front end up a little bit would take pressure off my glutes and my hamstrings. And is, that, is, that, is that reducing your hip angle or increasing your hip angle? It's making my angle larger, which is more like sitting up straight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, that's correct, Miss Middle School Math Teacher. <laughs> and I'm sitting here making angles, like obtuse and acute angles. The reason I was asking is I didn't know if they looked at the angle from the vantage point of like a vertical line and your back or if they looked at it with like the angle between your legs and torso. Part of what he looked at was the height of my knees compared to where my arrow pads were at. And he said that in the aggressive position, my knee was coming up above above the arrow pads, which I can't really see that when I'm in arrow position, but he said that he recommends that the elbows be higher so that the knees stay below the arrow pads. You certainly don't want your knees hitting the pads. That's not comfortable at all. So I had pretty much all of my parts throughout the years from when the bike was first purchased and when it was modified. Uh, Cervelo provided a whole lot of options for customizing the front end to fit the rider. And so we were able to put the bike in a little bit taller front end position. And I was riding it again on the trainer. It felt pretty good. Felt pretty good. So I'm pleased. I I took it for a test ride after he had finished. And I went across the pedestrian bridge across the Ohio River, if you're familiar with Louisville, and rode east on the Indiana side, which he said was 
a common route for him and, and other cyclists from Louisville because it's less busy and safer. And as I remember, the roads on the Louisville side of the river were not in the best condition, lots of bumps, but the road on the Indiana side was quite smooth. So, I had a good ride. So he made adjustments to the height of your arrow bars. Yes. What about the distance between your arrow bars, the spacing of the arrow bars themselves? Did that stay the same? You mean f- between the left arrow bar and the right arrow bar? Mm-hmm. That's not really adjustable. It's, that's fixed. He did bring... No, we talked about bringing the arrow bars back, but we didn't. We did move the elbow pads back one notch. And then he adjusted my saddle some, moving it back a little bit as well. Was your saddle height correct, or did he adjust the height as well? He was comfortable with the height. Yes, I don't remember him raising the seat post or lowering the seat post. He just moved the saddle. Because I do know we marked the Mm -hmm. height of the seat post before we adjusted it. On my bike fit, but I didn't know if setting it back would change the height need. The other thing that he adjusted was the positioning of my cleats. And so my test ride went well, and I'm looking forward to another test ride. Maybe tomorrow, if weather is good in the morning. So where are your cleats in relation to the ball of your foot? Do you know? I don't know that he changed it. In relation to the ball of the foot, I think he rotated slightly. So it changed your ankle. Exactly. Gotcha. I just have all the bike fit questions. Yeah. So it was a good experience. And yeah, I'm happy. I'm hoping that having the bike fit will help me to avoid you know, soft tissue issues that can occur from Overuse. So I had planned to go to Louisville with you today. I had planned on it earlier in the week. And then Jacob called me yesterday and asked me if I could keep Ellie. He uh, was going to help Shelby. She is moving to a new school next year. So she needed to move things from her existing classroom to her new classroom from one building to another, same school district. And so he asked if I would keep Ellie Ann, which of course I said yes. And after I got off the phone with him, I walked outside and I saw you by your truck with your bike being loaded. And I was like, oh no, I forgot. Tomorrow was bike fit day. So I bailed on you. Sorry about that, babe. That's okay. You have a busy schedule every day. So I really did not expect that you would be going to the bike fit with me. Yeah, I always seem to have a busy schedule, but then at the end of the day, I think, what did I accomplish today? And I'm like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> so Your priorities change moment to moment. Moment by moment. That's true. So let's see. Yesterday was my main workout, my main tempo workout this week. Yeah. And it looked like it was going to be a pretty easy day relative to speed work or tempo work. But man, it was a suffer fest again. Mm. And uh, 
I did hit my paces, but it was so hot outside. And then, you know, I came home a little downtrodden again. And you just had to remind me for the 100th time this summer to not worry about my pace in this heat, to worry about my effort. That's what we tell all of our athletes. I know. And then you, I get out there and I know this. I mean, I do 100% know this. But then... I just get in my mind, here's the pace I need to be going to get ready for a marathon. And I just get frustrated with myself. So you changed the long run workout this week and you actually took out the pace ranges and told me to change my watch face to where I can't see pace at all. And it's going to be hard because I'm doing this with the lady, Suzanne, who is going to race this with me. And I mean, are we going to interpret what marathon effort feels like the same? Like, I have a feeling we'll be in... Do your own thing. End up separated a bit tomorrow, but we'll see. So the other thing is, don't run a route that you know the mile markers on. Or you're going to look at your watch and you're going to say, well, that mile took X amount of time. Well, I'm just thinking about putting duct tape over the face of my watch and not either that or maybe it'll be a cadence day and I'll pay attention to my cadence. There you go. So, and my watch cues me. It's really kind of seven minutes on marathon effort and seven minutes off of kind of an easy effort. So toggling back and forth between those two efforts. So I'm really interested is not seeing pace going to make me work even harder than I should? I mean, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see the results afterward because, you know, I'm not quite as experienced in all this as you are. But you are very competitive. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Mm, I feel like you won a game of Monopoly deal this past weekend. Okay, let's talk about that. Did I win it or did you guys tell me what to do to win it? I didn't tell you what to do to win it. I was, I just didn't get any good cards. Well, we were playing with a group of, what, were there six of us playing? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I don't like Monopoly deal because you have to choose who you're going to basically be mean to. So I had a card where I was going to be able to collect a bunch of rent and I had a double the rent card. So it's going to be like $10 million I was going to get. And so I was just going to ask the person who had, I don't know, probably had $16, $17 million on the table anyway. And I was just going to get some of that money. Well, to win Monopoly deal, you have to fill up properties in a specific way. And I thought you were part of this, but I was coached by... Several players around the table is, well, you should take, you should charge someone who doesn't have money but has property because then they have to pay you in property. So I had to pick on somebody and really just bankrupt them. But they gave me the property I needed and I won, but I felt bad. Mm. If I'd taken that money, I wouldn't have won because I didn't have much property. I had zero property. Anyway, it was fun. It was something different. I guess. How did we get off on that? Oh, yes, you're competitive. Mm. But good luck on your workout, your long run this week. Hope that you do not melt. But think of strategies for mitigating the heat, whether that's loops where you can pick up water or ice or sports drinks or uh, dipping your hat in an ice bucket every so often or, you know, 
think of ways that you can cool yourself. Yeah, and with my eye condition, I have to have a hat on to protect my eyes from the wind and the sun and the elements. But I'm thinking about busting out a visor tomorrow that I have and see if that works because then all that heat's not being trapped under a hat. So I wonder if that's part of the issue. And your hair's shorter now. Oh, yeah. My hair is, I mean, I don't know. What would you say? Six inches shorter at least? Eight inches shorter? (laughs) Yeah, shoulder length. Yeah. I mean, it's really almost chin length. I always consider shoulder length a little bit longer, but anyway, it's a lot different. But yes, I've already mixed up my hydration for tomorrow, so I plan on hydrating well. And I created a three-mile loop that we plan on doing multiple times, and then we have different friends who are going to join in on each loop. Are you going to have a cooler set out that you could grab something quick on each lap? I mean, I guess I could. I We have a small cooler somewhere. When we hop off this podcast, I may have you help me find the cooler. We can do that. Sounds good. And then just, I'm still hopeful that the July 31st marathon in Snoqualmie, Washington will be much cooler. We shall see. It's going to be like training at altitude and then going down to sea level. We shall see. That's what we're hoping for. We can hope. So go by effort and let the clock say what it may. I do think heat affects different people in different ways, though, because Suzanne Lee and I all ran an 18-mile run in the heat last Saturday, and I feel like it didn't really affect Suzanne at all. She was just able to do the workout and then was still going. And then I definitely felt the effects of it. I ended up doing all my miles at pace, but I took breaks occasionally, which obviously you can't do in a marathon if you're trying to meet a pace goal. And then Lee, he struggled the most. He really just had to back off the pace. And it's just smart to do that. Like there's no reason in training to push your body to complete heat exhaustion. (laughs) It's not not healthy. Have we talked about that run on the podcast before? I don't think we have, have we? I think we did. Was it two weeks ago? No, it was last weekend, but... Was it the long weekend? (laughs) Oh, I guess we have not talked about it. So, well, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I want to talk about some lessons learned that you and I discussed. (laughs) When... Well, you want me to just explain what the run was first? Okay. Okay, so the run was... Eight miles easy, and then 10 miles at pace. And then we drove to Vienna to the trailhead. Tunnel Hills Trailhead. Mm -hmm. And it's a slight gain in elevation from where you dropped us off to the nine-mile turnaround point. So we were going out nine miles and back nine miles. So the easy part was uphill-ish. I mean, there's uphill and downhill in both directions, but it was a net elevation gain to get to the tunnel. And when we were eight miles in, we still had another mile to go uphill. And the people I was running with, they like to hit their pace immediately where I like to kind of work my way into the pace. Anyway, I worked hard and got to the top of the hill So, at the turnaround, I had done one of the 10 miles that were supposed to be at marathon pace, and I was already shot. 
Like I just shot my whole wide, but going from easy to marathon pace without working my way into it. So then we did a turnaround. By the time we got back to you, we I guess I was about a mile and a half into my 10 miles at pace and I was tired. <laughs> and I was exchanging bottles for you. Mm-hmm. So, and I also put on, at that point, I put on some shoes I had never run in before and still going to have to put a good eight miles on them. <laughs> so that probably wasn't the best strategy either is to put on a pair of shoes that I hadn't ever worn before and go that distance. But they did okay. I think they did okay. It felt funny at first. And I had not consumed much hydration in that first nine miles. Yeah, that was one of the lessons learned when... You stopped to exchange your bottle. You still had about half a bottle of fluids, and it was a really hot day. Even though there was shade cover on the trail, long uh, crushed gravel trail, mostly straight, uh, very easy to run on, but still it was hot and not a lot of wind coming through the trees. So you definitely needed to hydrate. And for some reason, although you were drinking at the prescribed intervals on your run, you weren't consuming enough during those times you were taking a drink. Right. So I had completed nine and a half miles at that point, had eight and a half miles left. Well, that last eight and a half miles, I had drained my hydration dry before I ever got back. So fortunately you and Suzanne were running back up the trail with hydration as I was finishing that last mile. So did you have other lessons? Yeah, another lesson learned. You said that you were having difficulties going to the bathroom in the morning before this run. So you opted not to eat breakfast. And I can understand the concern about eating and maybe that's going to activate your digestive system and then you're going to be out on the trail. That's a risk either way if you're unable to empty the tank in the morning. But you've got to have some fuel in the system. So lesson learned. Do you agree? I do agree. Yeah, that's still a tough one. So the three lessons learned that we've talked about Really do your own thing. If you want to work into the pace, then do that and let the friends go if they want to do something else. Monitor how much fluid you're taking in. Don't just assume that because I'm putting the bottle to my mouth that I'm getting enough. Make sure you're consuming it all in the time frame that it needs to be consumed. And then fuel well before training. Yeah, that already has my wheel spinning because tomorrow morning's my long run and it starts at 5.30 in the morning. So I'm not sure how much nutrition I'll consume prior to that run, but it's just a two hour run. That's a whole lot different than getting out there for two and a half, 2.45 or whatever. Makes a difference. Yeah. Yep. Now on your run on the Tunnel Hill Trail, you were taking Martin gels, right? Every 45 minutes. So maybe if you had taken one before you started, that would have given you a little bit of extra fuel, but who knows? Yeah, I really think it was heat mostly, and then I think if I had consumed my hydration better in that first nine miles, maybe that would have helped with the heat as well. Maybe so. 
I'd like to spend a few minutes and talk about the Tour de France. Shocking. The Tour de France is as exciting as ever. It's been an exciting few days. Been really impressed with Wout van Aert, who just happens to be riding a Cervelo bike as well. He finished second on stage one in the time trial. He finished second in a sprint where Fabio Jacobson pulled out the victory, and that's a whole story in itself. When you say Fabio, I just want to flip my hair. Fabio just sounds like some kind of GQ model name. Mm-hmm. You have images going through your mind. I mean, just of a hair flip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And then on stage three, Wout Van Aert finished second yet again. But this time, Dylan Groenewegen won the sprint. And there's a story around that, too. But then, on stage four, Wout Van Aert, he was the man with six miles to go. He put in a surge on a hill, broke away from the peloton, broke away from the GC contenders. At one point, the TV coverage was showing that he was going like 42 miles an hour solo on the bike. It didn't look like it was downhill. Now, he is an all-around cyclist, time trial, cyclocross, sprints, hills. He's got the whole gamut, although he's considered number three on his team. Hard to believe. We'll have to see how he does on the on the big hills, but he won last year in the Tour on a mountain climb. I believe it was Alpe d'Huez, famous Tour de France climb. Anyway, he was able to hold off the GC chasers in Stage 4, so exciting to watch him. He's been wearing the yellow jersey into Stage 5, which had all the cobbles, 11 different sections of cobblestones, and he wiped out as well as several of his teammates, but he still fought back to wear the jersey heading into stage six, but I haven't watched stage six yet, so I can't really talk about that. But I did want to talk about Fabio Jogerson, who won stage two. He and Dylan Grunewagen, nearly two years ago, got tangled up in a sprint finish, and Fabio crashed into the barrier flipped over the barrier, like hit a pole. Uh, he had to be put in induced coma. He had broken bones. The biggest issue was like his throat, his larynx. And it's, you know, a miracle that the doctors were able to help him to full recovery and to be able to be back at the pinnacle of the sport Winning stages in the Tour de France after that series of injuries is, is just incredible. It's It shows the ability and the determination of the athletes. And then Dylan Gronewagen, the one who interfered with Fabio in the sprint, causing the crash that put him in a coma. After a suspension, he was able to resume training and racing, and he won stage three. So congratulations to both of them. But yeah, the tour's going great. And looking at the fantasy standings between me and you. Oh my goodness, here we go. It's a close race. I'm sure it's, it's a not. Close race. It couldn't possibly be. Right now, I've got 326 points and you've got 255 points. Okay, how's that close? It's close. Let's it's just say not it's close. close. But I feel like. But we're so far behind the other people in this fantasy league. 
Really? Yeah, we're really close. Yeah, yeah, we're really close. What do you mean we're so far behind? I'm like, what's top score? Oh, it's like 800-something. And who'd they pick? Well, I haven't looked at that. Oh, I know. Let me take that back. 1,075 is leading, and we're in the 300s and 200s. So. Well, I didn't know the rules. That's all right. That's all right. So I, there was two other things I believe I wanted to talk about related to the Tour de France. No, it was just one other thing. I'd already talked about Fabio Jacobson. The other was, you know, over the years, there's been a lot of controversy about cyclists and doping, you know, doing things not approved, not healthy to gain a competitive advantage. And hopefully the UCI has found ways to clean it up. And hopefully all the riders are following the rules for their own safety and for the integrity of the sport. But in addition to mandatory testing of the athletes, there's also inspection of all the bikes for the potential of mechanical doping. Have you ever heard of mechanical doping? Would that be like hiding an e-bike in your... <laughs> yes, having a little motor in your bike to give you a little bit of an advantage. Who would do such a thing? Hopefully no one. Well, yeah, last year they did not find any evidence of that. And so far this year, they have not found any evidence of that. So they have to check because some people's competitive drive is greater than their integrity. But I'm That's glad... That's a really nice way to say they Cheating! Cheating! <laughs> but anyway, I'm glad that as far as we know, everybody's playing by the rules. Although there has been some pushing and shoving in some of the stages. But that's just part of the race. What I have found interesting is the commentators said that the crowds were greater in Denmark than when they actually flew over to where it's traditionally raced. Yeah. Well, I had a couple of thoughts on that. One is Denmark is a smaller country, and it's the first time this tour has started in Denmark, actually in Copenhagen. So when you retire, are we going to spend a July in France? I think that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they have bike tours where you can ride the courses. I mean, we probably are not going to be physically able to ride all 21 stages, like, you know, the morning before or the day before. But maybe we could ride up Alpe d'Huez. I mean, you got to do that. And by we, I'm assuming you mean you. <laughs> you could be my support vehicle. There you go. I can do that. Mm -hmm. But even if we didn't want to ride, it'd be fun to be in the crowd. I wouldn't want to be near the cobbles, though. Well, I wouldn't want to be those annoying people that are actually out in the road and you think they're going to interfere with the riders. Seems like there's always somebody wearing a Spider-Man outfit. That could be you. There was somebody wearing a I'm riding a dinosaur outfit the <laughs> other day, just like Blippi. And I'm riding a dinosaur outfit. But it makes it look like... You're sitting on a dinosaur, and the dinosaur is carrying you around as if you were riding on a horse. A horse. But you're on a dinosaur. Oh, okay. And a lot of people waving their country's flags, but it's an exciting time of the year. It's as exciting this year as it was last year. The other interesting thing about the Tour de France this year is the success of Magnus Court from the U.S. team, EF Education, leading the King of the Mountain competition. As of stage four, he had won 
all but but the last of the KOM points, which was a Tour de France record. I wonder where he trains. Yeah, I'm not sure. Let's wrap this up with a scripture. I finished the book of Proverbs recently, and then I decided I wanted to read the book of Isaiah. So the scripture that I was going to share is from Isaiah chapter 2. Starting at verse 2, it says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. I'm really looking forward to a time in the future when the Lord eliminates conflict. There's no more wars, no more fear of war, no more need to prepare for war. That will be a nice day. Oh, what a day. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.